This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 294, and we are recording on August 17th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Mm-hmm. And my allergies are just as bad as ever. Oh, no. Worse. <laughs> I don't know what. I like probably should go get tested or something. All I know is that they're just forever, apparently. You're just allergic to the outside. I, or maybe the inside, if it's dust. I was just going to say, who knows? It could be either at this point. I re- I reject that I'm allergic to outside, though, because I like spending time outside. Yeah, that would be a bummer. It would be a huge bummer. We are sitting here in, I think, Fred is the tropical storm that's oh boy. coming this away. I don't remember. There's, you know, like climate change. We have 14 already. Who knows even what I, what is happening? But it's just raining, which is great. I'm in my yeah. house with my children. <sighs> well, here we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the end of August. This yeah. is what, or mid mid end of August. This is what happens. Just survive until school starts. Just gotta. Yeah. All right. Let's see. How does this show work? You I might be wondering. I will. <laughs> I will tell you. This is a personalized reading recommendation show, as we said at the top, which means that you can send in your requests for personalized reading recommendations two ways: either through email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or there's a form at the bottom of the show notes, which are linked uh, on your podcatcher, and you can drop your questions in there. And if you have a time-sensitive request, like you want a recommend for your own travel, maybe, or a birthday for a family member or friend or something like that, please put time sensitive, all caps, at the top of the form or in the subject line of your email, and we'll do our best. And you can ask for, you know, maybe it's for your book club. Like I said, maybe it's for a friend or family member. Maybe you're just having trouble finding a certain kind of book, whatever. Oh, yeah. If you send in a time-sensitive request and we won't get to it on air, we might send you an email response. So keep an eye out for those. And we are now only six episodes away from episode 300. (laughs) And we are taking Ask Us Anything questions for that episode. I think we we have so many at this point that maybe we'll have to do two. Yeah, I think we will. Which is fine. I like yeah. a nice break. Yeah. yeah. Keep sending them, right? It'll be an interesting change of pace for us. I mean, we like recommending right, books obviously. and everything, <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes it's nice to talk about other stuff. So you can send in your episode 300 questions still. Just put episode 300 either in the subject line or the very first line of the form so that we don't confuse it with a question for a regular show. All right. So now we have some feedback from listeners with books of uh, recommending for other askers. Emily has a suggestion for Maymuna from episode 290, looking for books that combine time travel and love stories. What the Wind Knows by Amy Harmon is about an American woman who heads to Ireland to investigate her family history after her grandfather's death. While she's there, she falls back in time to the Irish War of Independence. What? Where she's mistaken for her great-grandmother, awkward, and begins to raise her grandfather as her own son, while also falling for a family friend she meets there. Wow. That sounds like a ride and a half. Let's see. Catherine says, for Anne, who wants Alaska survival books in episode 291, I just today finished a great one. It's called The Arctic Fury by Greer McAllister. A group of women is assembled to try to locate an explorer who has not returned from his Arctic expedition. I can't say Arctic. Ar- Arctic. Ar- mm-hmm. Arctic. How do- Anyway. Uh, I'm sure somebody will write in to tell me that I'm mispronouncing it regardless. Uh, The book tells the story of the women's experiences on their trips and includes a tense, exciting courtroom drama back in Mm. Boston. Oh, that sounds fun. All right. So that was our feedback. Thanks, y'all. And Amanda is going to read our first question and then we'll get started. Okay, question one is from Kelly, who says, Book Project, Pesky Reporters. I was listening to you wreck a book on the podcast uh, Broken Monsters and describe how the reporter character was obnoxious, which oddly made me realize I'm interested in this trope. I have complicated feelings about the media IRL, but somehow the almost authorized to get in your business zone reporters occupy interests me in fiction. Examples include Truly Madly by Heather Weber and Broadchurch, the BBC show adapted into books by Aaron Kelly. Bonus points if the pesky reporter becomes helpful or sympathetic later on. Let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. 
So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Okay, pesky reporters who may or may not be sympathetic. I picked the Ketty Leaks <laughs> Mystery Series by Rod uh, Vatzel, um, and the first book is A Front Page Affair. This is a bit different, I think, than the examples that you gave. You know, in Broken Monsters and Broadchurch, these are modern books that are happening in contemporary times. Um, and A Front Page Affair takes place in, like, the World War One era. But the character, that, that timing actually makes her a bit peskier. So that actually might be a bonus. So Kitty, her real name is actually Capability Weeks, which is the best name for a pesky reporter. I mean, possible. <laughs> like, humanly possible, right? Capability Weeks. She goes by Kitty. Um, and she is working at a newspaper in New York. She wants to be like a hard hitting journalist, breaking, you know, like real news and doing that whole thing. But because she's a woman, she's been really cor- like shoved off into a corner writing books about like society gossip and luncheons or whatever. I don't know. What does society do? Luncheons? That sounds right. Um, <laughs> and so she gets stuck covering a beat at a Fourth of July party being hosted by like a very fancy rich person in the city. And while she's there, she witnesses a murder and she like decides this is going to be her big break, which sounds a little cold, but she is kind of that way. And so she decides like she's going to investigate this with the police and find out who murdered this person. And in the course of her investigation for the paper, um, she gets like embroiled in this kind of international political intrigue that has a lot of implications for the U.S. and the U.S.'s participation or non-participation in World War I. So it's big implications. And she is so obnoxious, (laughs) but she's annoying to everyone around her because she's trying to do a good job at something she's not allowed to do a good job at because she's a woman. And the like real, I think, trick that this book pulls off is that I, a 21st century, you know, uber feminist, I'm still like, God, could you just chill out for five seconds? <laughs> like, you don't have to be so mean or like so pushy, but she really does because how else was, she, was any, how else is like a PYT in 1915 going to get any kind of information or be taken seriously in a professional setting. So she got she has a lot of obstacles to overcome. She does become sympathetic as she, you know, kind of comes into her own and realizes the things that she has to do and the work that this kind of job is going to require. But she starts off like super annoying. So that is A Front Page Affair by Radha Vatzel. Is PYT pretty young thing? Yes. Okay. Just double checking. <laughs> I thought so, but I wanted to verify. <laughs> yeah. So this is an interesting question because I could find like tons of books that are like the one Amanda is recommending that are narrated by reporters. But I wanted to give you another option because, you know, one of the things about Broken Monsters and, and Broadchurch is that the reporter is like, 
not necessarily the main character, right? Mm. Like they're like a side character. I mean, they they are sometimes they are both POV characters, I guess, technically speaking, but they're not like the one telling you the whole story. And so I went for help and Danica, who is fantastic and writes our our Queerest Shelves newsletter, which uh, is all about LGBTQIA fiction uh, and books, if that's a thing that you need in your life. Danica recommended Fresh by Margot Wood, which was already on my TBR. So this like worked out well for everyone. And this is this is new adult. It takes place in uh, college uh, freshman year for our main character, Elliot McHugh who is going to this, like, very, like, you know, schmancy liberal arts Mm -hmm. college where, like, pretty much everybody knows what they're wanting to do. Like, it's the kind of place where everybody's like, yes, I'm going to be X, Y, or Z. Like, this is the thing I want to do. But Elliot, our main character, is, like, not really sure about, you know, a major. Like, actually, she just wants to do the college thing, like, go to parties and, like, you know, antagonize her RA and, like, you know, get laid. Like, these are her Mm -hmm. priorities. But, you know, things don't just aren't easy breezy because, you know, nothing ever is, especially in fiction. And she has to, like, reckon with the mistakes that she's making. And the reason that I'm recommending this for this question specifically is that Danica was like, oh, there's a great side character who runs a gossip blog um, Mm -hmm. and goes on an arc throughout the course of the book that I will not tell you the specifics of, but I think is definitely going to satisfy what you are looking for. And I also love, like... Gossip blogs are such an interesting beast in journalism because, like, talk about the, like, almost authorized to get in your business. But, like, Mm. there's a real difference between, like, investigative journalism about murder, for example, and Mm. a gossip, like, TMZ, right? Like, they're Mm. not the same kind of journalism. But also, like, yeah, it's it's a complicated, like, potentially fraught, interesting dynamic. And that's what it sounds like you're looking for. So I thought this would be a good pick. Uh, So again, that is Fresh by Margot Wood. All right. So our next question is from Amber, who said, I recently read The Beast is an Animal and loved it. I'm a fan of the Agent Pendergast series by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. Some of my other favorites include Watchers and Phantoms by Dean Kuntz, The Shining and Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. I also love The Witch's Daughter and The Return of the Witch by Paula Braxton. I'm looking for a book that has supernatural creatures and elements. As you can probably tell by the books listed above, I typically prefer horror, suspense, or mystery. I have never really read fantasy, but I'm not opposed to trying it. Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked All the Murmuring Bones by A.G. Slatter, uh, which comes with trigger warnings for incest and child abuse. I picked this up. I had never heard of it. And I was like doing the thing that you do where you scroll through your libraries and your releases on like Overdrive or whatever you use. I use Libby. And the cover caught my eye. And I was like... This is a beautiful cover. Also, it has a really long hold list, which means I have somehow missed the boat on this book. So I put it on hold and then I finally got my copy in and I read it. And it is so great. It's a it's a, a like British fantasy novel, but it's set in this kind of alternate Ireland. Like the country is never named, but you can tell, you know, pretty quickly that this is what the the area is supposed to be. The main character's name is Mirren O'Malley, and she comes from this very powerful family that long ago made a deal with the the mayor, like the mermaids, um, who are not kind of little mermaid mermaids, but are more like horror story mermaids that haunt your family and want to eat your flesh, those sort of mermaids. They made a deal with the mayor that in return for safety for their ships and their crew that they used to build their wealth by doing, you know, commerce or whatever, they would give a child of every generation to the mayor for like whatever they chose to do with it, what they chose to do with it was eat it, in case you're wondering. And so this is how this family like prospered forever. But because they got so obsessed with their purity, the purity of their bloodline and became so like literally inbred that they stopped, they had trouble with fertility, they stopped having enough children to keep up their end of the bargain. So this family has fallen into poverty and disrepair and all of that. And Mirren is the main character. She's a young woman. She's like in her early 20s. Her grandparents have just died and left her the last true like O'Malley that is left. Um, And she realizes, she finds out that like she still has some family in another part of the country and she's going to go there and try to like make things right, like make her family whole again, but not, you know, by like feeding people to monsters, but like by hopefully having a kind of normal life. So she sets out on this journey um, and along the way, 
it becomes almost like a Lord of the Rings kind of travel story. Like every, you know, or like in The Hobbit, where every new chapter of The Hobbit was Bilbo encountering some new kind of beastie who he had to outsmart or whatever. And Mirren is doing exactly that. Like the most of the book is her traveling from her big crumbling estate, uh, which is like very gothic-y, to find the rest of her family. And along the way, encountering like, a Kelpie, which is a terrifying horse beast that lives in lakes and wants to eat you, um, and ghosts and selkies and like all of these beasts and mythological creatures from Irish folklore and having to figure out how to outsmart them. Um, and the thing that I loved about this so much is that Mirren is like, she's very quiet. She's very, um, you know, she's young. And oftentimes with books like these where you come across like a big, powerful family with like a pretty, you know, main character who's like, uh, quite young, they end up being a little bit, you know, kind of Mary Sue-ish and mm, like they make choices that you're like, really? But she is not like that at all. Like she knows exactly what she's doing. She will not be manipulated. Of course, she has several encounters with men who want to take advantage of her because of her family. And she just like draws a lot of blood is what she does. <laughs> like she is not afraid. <laughs> she is not afraid of of the ghosts that she encounters of, of like man or beast and it's a great great pleasure to read so that is all the murmuring bones by ag slatter all right i picked the taker trilogy by alma katsu for you i think you're gonna love katsu's work i think she's very much like a modern contemporary of the authors that you already are into and the taker trilogy bonus takes place in rural maine which is like very stephen kingy right and stephen king also blurbs her so there's that too So this trilogy starts off, the first book is called The Taker. And the main character, Dr. Luke Finley, is like a, you know, he's a he's a doctor, obviously, at a hospital in rural Maine, like I said. And he's on a midnight shift. And like normally the stuff that comes in is like pretty, you know, low key. Like he's not seeing a lot of fancy or interesting injuries or even, you know, critical necessarily. Uh, But... In walks this woman, Lenore McElvray slash Lanny, and she is a murder suspect with a police escort. So, like, that's a thing. Mm. And she starts to, you know, talk to him over the course of their encounter. And it turns out that she's, like, been around since the 19th century in this same small town. Uh, She made a bargain. Like you do, uh, that made her immortal with a terrible price. And it is like a supernatural suspense unfolding both modern uh, times and historical times of like what she did, why she did it, what the results are, like, can this horrible thing be fixed, et cetera, et cetera. And Katsu's work, like, I mean, start here, but like, then go forth and enjoy because she's got a ton of books that I think, again, are very much in your wheelhouse. And yeah, I I think you're super going to enjoy her stuff. So again, that's The Taker, which is the first book in the Taker trilogy by Alma Katsu. Okay, question three is from Heather, who says, I've recently become a romance reader, all book riots fault, by the way. You're welcome. (laughs) And I'm hoping you can recommend something in the following categories. Number one, Christian romance. I am a Christian, and I'm curious about writers in this arena of the genre, but there is such a flood of Christian or inspirational romance out there that I have no idea where to start. And number two, romance with a Jewish protagonist and or male lead. Conversely, there seems to be precious little in the way of romance focusing on Jewish characters. Books with Jewish protagonists are part of my personal wheelhouse in general, and I'd love to expand that interest into my romance exploration. So far, I've been able to find Knit One Girl 2 by Shira Glassman, A Bed of Spices by Barbara Samuel, um, and Starstruck by Yael Libby. Okay, um, we so we split this question up. Question? What is that's not a word? I just combined <laughs> the word Christian and question into question. We split this question into two. Uh, we split it up. So I took the Christian romance portion of it. And my recommendation for you is Bring on the Blessings by Beverly Jenkins, which is a what? Just... Oh, Beverly Jenkins can do no wrong, first of all. Second of all, this is such a fantasy on so many levels. So it's about a woman named Bernadine. She is 52, um, and she has just caught her husband having an affair with his secretary. And instead of falling apart, what she does is hires a really great lawyer and takes him for for $275 million. Like, she just... You just made a whole bunch of mistake and let me take all of your dinero and off I will go into the sunset. And so she frames it because she is a Christian in the book. She frames it as a like, you know, to whom much has been given, much is expected. So she's looking for something to do with all of this money that it would be like actually helpful. 
And so what she decides to do is to buy a town. Like, it's big Shit's Creek energy, except she's not a, a goofball <laughs> like they are at the beginning of that show. She decides to buy a town. She goes to Henry Adams, Kansas, which is one of the last surviving towns that was founded by freed slaves after the Civil War. And if you have read a lot of Beverly Jenkins, you will recognize a lot of last names of characters from her historical books in this book, like in the founding people from this town, which is a really great little Easter egg. So the town is fallen into debt. A lot of people are leaving, as they tend to do in rural areas. Um, and so the town has put itself up for sale. And so she's decided she's going to buy it. And so she buys it. <laughs> and she meets the mayor, whose name is Trent July, which is like such a good hero name, Trent July. And he is, you know, understandably really upset about this place that he was born and that he's le lived in his whole life, falling into such disrepair. And he likes Bernadine. Like, when she comes, she wants to bring in a bunch of foster children and help revitalize the town and, you know, use the spaces to really serve kids who are in need. And he's, like, into it. But also, but he's maybe a little bit alone in that a lot of people, as is often the case when an outsider comes into a small town or suspicious of her, aren't interested in changing anything, even though the status quo has led to everybody leaving. And the, so there's some of that kind of like insider outsider tension. Um, yeah. And so the, it also has like a side character named Lily, who was Trent's like first love, um, who helps <laughs> helps them like unite the town and um you know solve all of these kind of problems and interpersonal issues that are preventing the townspeople from really warming up to bernadine so i love this I, there's so many things i love about this series i love that the, the heroine is a bit older she's in her 50s and is divorced and i love the perspective of somebody coming into a lot of money and then wanting to actually do something useful with it. Um, and I also love that it's like in a rural setting. You don't get a lot of romances that aren't historical that are set in rural areas. So that's Bring on the Blessings, which is the first in a series by Beverly Jenkins. Gotta love Miss Bev. Mm -hmm. All right. So for uh, romances featuring Jewish characters, I have got for you True Pretenses by Rose Lerner, who, side note, is a Jewish author and you should read like all of those books. They're they're all great. But True Pretenses, I think, is a great starting place. Although, <laughs> as always, it is technically the second in the lively St. <laughs> Lemiston series. Who cares? Not us. Uh, the, <laughs> the hero is Ash Cohen who grew up, like, very disadvantaged in London. You know, an orphan uh, who ends up, you know, running, like, cons and thieving for bad people. And he has managed to take himself and his younger brother, Rafe, and, like, escape London. And the way they make their living is by running cons. Like, it's it's very much like some leverage energy here. Although they're not, they're not, like stealing for other people. They're definitely stealing for themselves, but they try to only target people who can afford to lose the money. And they're like, they've just finished a con at the start of the book when Rafe, the younger brother, is like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't feel great about it. And I want to retire. Maybe I'll go into the army. And Ash is like, no, 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 no. That's a bad plan. Like, please don't die. Like, Ash is extremely dedicated to his younger brother. Like, all he wants is to make sure that Rafe has a good life. So he's like, okay, okay. We'll find one big score, as always. We'll find one big score, <laughs> and that'll give you enough money to, like, maybe buy a commission or, like, settle down in a way that's, like, sustainable. So, like, let's do that. And Rafe is like, okay. And they depart. They, like, split up to try to find the score. And Ash finds out about Lydia Reeve, who is a an heiress in this very small town called Lively St. Lemiston. And her father has recently died. She's grieving her younger brother, who she is also extremely dedicated to. They have that in common. It's like not super into taking up the like lording responsibilities. Their family has been extremely involved in local politics and like is ex and Lydia is super invested in it and wants to continue not only to like, you know, keep influence in the local politics, but also like she wants to like give coats to the poor and like do all these things. But that requires money. And she is not allowed to touch the money without her brother who is now the lord's like permission and he's like stop i don't want to think about any of this like i'm gonna go stay with my friends and she's like Ugh. and of course she has an inheritance but she can't touch it until she gets married because historical and so ash is like oh perfect like we will provide her with an, a husband of convenience she gets her money 
And then, like, probably she and my brother will fall in love, right? Because who wouldn't Mm -hmm. fall in love with my brother? And, like, everything will be perfect. Spoiler, that's not what happens. Um, Instead, Ash and Lydia start to catch feelings for each other. And then there's, like, secrets and betrayals and all of these complicated things. And it's a really lovely romance about two people who have, like, 100% dedicated their lives to other people, like, figuring out what they want for themselves together. And also, like, very, I think thoughtfully talking about what it is like to be a Jewish person in, you know, Regency England. Mm. This is where I give a content warning that the character recounts experiencing anti-Semitism. There's not a lot of it on the page, although Lydia has like some very ridiculous views (laughs) about what it's like for Jewish people to be Jewish. Uh, And those get exploded over the course of the book, obviously. And it's just, yeah, it's really great. And... I just love these two characters, these two, like, extremely codependent characters. I love them. Uh, Super steamy, super enjoyable. Again, that's True Pretenses by Rose Lerner. Oh, and I wanted to give a shout out to The Matzah Ball by Jean Meltzer, which I didn't pick because it's not coming out until September 28th, and I thought it was cruel to make you wait like a month-ish. But I've been hearing amazing things. It's a contemporary with a Jewish heroine, and it just sounds like it's 100% something you're going to want to read. So, like, Pre-order that, put that on hold. The Matzah Ball by Jean Meltzer. All right, our next question is from Jackie, who says, Recently, I've read several books that are, quote, true crime mixed with memoir, unquote. I just finished The Fact of a Body and After the Eclipse. I also read What Made Maddie Run. I like how the books don't solely focus on a crime, but also the author's life and how they relate to it and understand it. Any more recommendations? Amanda. Okay, I picked The Red Parts by Maggie Nelson. Um, Maggie Nelson is a really well-known poet and, uh, like, essayist, essayist, memoirist. Mm. And The Red Parts is one of her more well-known books. And this is about her aunt, who was murdered in March of 1969 when she was 23. Her name was Jane. She was at the University of Michigan and was a law student, one of the, like, first female law students there, so quite pioneering. Um, And she was trying to come home, I think, for the for spring break or something. Um, and she, because the internet didn't exist, had arranged for a ride on a bulletin board at the campus, was picked up by someone and then was found the next morning shot to death. And then six other women around the campus were murdered in, and strangled in similar ways. And so it was decided that this was the work of a serial killer named John Collins, who was convicted of most of those murders. Technically, Jane's death was never sought, like was never closed because they didn't have enough evidence to tie him directly to her. But the family had accepted that, you know, this was probably who killed her and had, you know, tried to move on. But Maggie's childhood and adolescence in a lot of ways was shaped by the murder of this aunt who she never knew because her mother, you know, you parent in certain ways when someone close to you has died like that. Um, And Maggie herself became quite like obsessed with the idea of what had happened to her aunt and what her aunt would have been if she had been allowed to live. And then in 2004, a DNA match uh, leads to the arrest of somebody else, like somebody who was not the person who they originally thought murdered her aunt. And then a new trial opens. And this is just at the time that Maggie herself was publishing a book of poetry about her aunt and her aunt's life and her aunt's death. And so she has to publish this book and then at the same time, like, attend this trial for this man who's now been arrested of this murder from 1969. And her family, her parents, have to relive all of that kind of trauma and and, um, sadness and sorrow and grief through the whole thing. So the book is about, of course, the murder, the the crime that happened, DNA testing, all of these very technical kind of things that, that go around kind of true crime and the solving of a really old cold case. But it's also about Maggie's personal life, her personal experience, uh, you know, being in the family of somebody who died a really violent and tragic death. And also, like, how that affects you when you've never met that person. She didn't know her aunt. Her aunt, you know, was died in the 60s. <laughs> and so all of these ripple effects that happened from this violent crime were felt by Maggie, even though she didn't particularly know this woman. So it's a really, really fascinating uh, memoir. So that's The Red Parts by Maggie Nelson. Always co-sign Maggie Nelson. Mm-hmm. I picked one from my TBR for you. It is Midnight in Mexico by Alfredo Corchado. And the subtitle is A Reporter's Journey Through a Country's Descent into Darkness. This is very much a memoir with a side of crime journalism. Like primarily, I think, memoir. But it sounds like that's 
the part that you are into. So here we are. Uh, so Alfredo Corchado is Mexican-American. His parents uh, left Mexico when their younger daughter died and they raised their kids in California. And he has since been, uh, he's a journalist who has been covering the cartels and all of these like, you know, political and narco things happening in Mexico. Um, and in 2007, he gets a tip that like he might be on a target list. And so he is scrambling around trying to, like, find out whether this is actually legit or not. And he's in Mexico trying to decide if he needs to leave. And you're getting both his attempts to figure out, like, whether or not this is true with the context of how the cartels and the Mexican political situation has impacted himself and his family. So it's very much like contextualizing on a personal level the things that you might already be like somewhat aware of going on in, you know, in the 90s and the early 2000s in Mexico. And so one note I will give based on what I'm seeing in the reviews is that uh, he doesn't necessarily do a ton of like detailed explaining of certain figures. So you might need to do a little Googling depending on your own familiarity with the big players in the Mexican cartel situations. But this is like very much the personal story of somebody whose family and whose own life has been deeply wound up and impacted by the drugs and politics of um, Mexico. And so, it, you know, it's going to give you that thing that you're looking for, I think. Uh, so, again, that's Midnight in Mexico by Alfredo Corchado. And it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> All right. Question five is from Joanna, who says, I'm very into audiobooks. I listen to them all day since I can listen at work, at home doing chores, walking the dogs or commuting. I do a lot of book research through the Book Riot podcast, Goodreads, NPR, The New York Times, etc. I try to be on top of new releases and hidden gems within my favorite genres. Mystery, suspense, thrillers, sci-fi, magical realism, and YA. I'm not into nonfiction or super literary fiction. Some of my favorite authors are Caroline Kepnes, Robin Sloan, Swan Huntley, Andy Weir. She lists a whole bunch. Um, recently, I enjoyed Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson, We Have a Circle Round by Carrie Maureen, The Last Parish by Liv Constantine, and All Our Wrongs Today by Alain Mastry. I'm super picky and normally need humor and adventure into my book, in my books. Not into gooey romance or historical fiction. I love contemporary diverse characters, and I would read or listen to around 100 books a year. Any recommendations along these lines would be welcome. 
Okay, I picked Imposter Syndrome by Kathy Wang, which again is another book that I hadn't heard anything about until I saw it like in my library's new release list, which there you go. I mean, there's a tip. Go look at Shania's library new release list. <laughs> and I picked it up and I read it and it is fascinating. It's a contemporary, I would say, kind of thriller. It's not violent. It is very much an imagining of like, what if Sheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook, was actually a Russian spy? Like mashup of <laughs> Black Widow and lean in it's so weird and fascinating and interesting so the main character's name is julia she lives in moscow she's a recent graduate of you know university and computer science she's recruited by russia's intelligence intelligence agency to move to silicon valley and open a, a tech like a tech startup with stolen uh, tech like they've stolen this whole idea and all the technology for her she just has to go to silicon valley and plant herself somewhere in there that's going to get her startup noticed. And over the years, she becomes the COO of Tangerine, like she, which is their version of like Facebook. And she is now a Sheryl Sandberg. She's one of America's most famous business people. She, you know, like does the whole Sheryl Sandberg. She like speaks before Congress all the time. She's in all these magazines. She has her her handler picked a husband for her and like she had a baby and she is doing all of these things 100% also Russian spy behind the scenes. And she's pretty much left to her own devices for several years because she's doing quite well. And then, you know, the the kind of check comes due and the Russian government requires her to use the God mode of her technology in order to track the physical location of political enemies of the Russian government and then pass that information along. And then, of course, those people end up assassinated. Who would have thought, you know? So that's the main character, number one. Number two is Alice, Alice Liu, who's a first-generation Chinese-American who works at Tangerine. She's very low-level. She's got, you know, she's in her 30s. She has a roommate. She just, like, her boyfriend just broke up with her. Like, she's not doing super, super well. And one day she's running a technical check behind the scenes. Like, she works in security or whatever at Tangerine and realizes that somebody is accessing God mode, which is not supposed to even exist. And so she falls down this whole rabbit hole of, like, who is this? Who is possibly using this thing that we aren't even supposed to have anymore? And then she ties it to Julia, who, of course, is this huge, powerful political corporate figure. And then and she's just like a nobody peon at the bottom rungs of this company. And their paths, you know, start to have there's like a collision course that happens. And what's going to happen? It's like political intrigue, really, really fast paced. And just is Sheryl Sandberg a Russian spy? Now I can't get it out of my head. Every time I see her face, I'm like, I don't know. I think I would. I think I would believe it. I think I would. I don't because she's just tangential to the like Zuckerberg himself is obviously a robot. So she could be a spy. It doesn't it's not too far out of the realm of possibility. Anyway, fascinating. So that is Imposter Syndrome by Kathy Wang. I'm definitely going to have to read that book. So, all right. So I picked Hench by Natalie Walshatz because you listed a bunch of like sci-fi that is, you know, has like an, a bit of an edge to it. And this is very much like a dark, dark comedy. I will also give content warnings for body horror, medical trauma, and PTSD and panic attacks. It's it's did I say it's dark? It's dark. <laughs> uh, but it's also really funny and really interesting and weird. It is about Anna, who is an office worker, but she is like an office worker for villains. In the world that Anna exists in, there are superheroes and supervillains. There are like middling heroes and middling villains. And they have support staff because obviously. So like she has this like very unglamorous job that also involves like people doing crimes with superpowers. And, you know, it pays the bills. She's just a cog in the machine. She's like actually a temp. So she doesn't really feel personally responsible for the things that are going on. Like she's got to make a living somehow. And she gets an assignment that ends up putting her like in the middle of a villain versus hero conflict that goes horribly wrong. She's very injured. And she is basically like, you know, in all of those Avengers movies when people are like running around screaming because buildings are falling on them. Like, that's who she is. She is one of those people running around screaming because things are, she's collateral damage. And so she's like, okay, I'm now disabled. I have all of these medical bills. I've been laid off. 
Like, I am very mad. So what she does is she starts tracking the collateral damage that superheroes are doing and, like, the cost to, like, the literal the cost because she's good at spreadsheets. So she's, like, actually got numbers. And then she comes to the, her, like, her blog about this starts to attract more and more attention. She comes to the attention of this, like, very intense supervillain who invites her to come work for him and, like, find creative ways to mess with superheroes. And, like, it is such a fascinating mashup of things and it's so well done and there's so much great like you mentioned that you you know love contemporary and diverse casts and like this is a very interesting cast with lots of great representation it is also like extremely action-packed and very compelling in that way where you're like wow like that's a choice that you're making like okay I guess let's see what happens next and it is I also think it's a really lovely sort of counterpoint to this very like okay like so things get like a little complicated with superhero stories like you know you get things like Civil War or whatever but this is like let me extra complicate it for you like let me make it as complicated as possible very compelling I think you're really gonna dig it and again like it is super funny in a very horror horror way uh so that's hench by natalie walshutz all right our next book or request rather is from emily who says i love books where the hero and heroine are a team and seem to balance and complete each other especially when they fall in love facing adversity having adventures together or striving to reach a common goal i'm looking to find a romance novel with this strong sense of partnership between the main characters my favorite subgenres are paranormal and historical, but I would be open to anything that included a hero and heroine who have a true partnership. I've read several of Nora Roberts' paranormal romances and enjoyed them, particularly the Guardians trilogy. However, even they weren't quite what I'm looking for. Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked The Countess Conspiracy by Courtney Milan, which is the third book in the Brothers Sinister series, but guess what? It doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> It doesn't matter. So this is about Sebastian and Violet. Violet is the widowed Countess of Cambury, and she is a very proper, respectable, some would say stick in the mud of a person. And her best friend is Sebastian, who is a leading scientist, very controversial scientist in the UK, who is, you know, doing science in the vein of Darwin, which makes respectable society very much looked down their nose at him because he is satan i tell you the secret however is that the science is actually violets she is the scientist and she they have this partnership where she develops all of the experiments and does all the research and then presents it to sebastian to present to the public because she's a woman and obviously would not be allowed to do so but feels very strongly that her work needs to get out into the world which it does and so they have this partnership for about five years until sebastian just kind of breaks under the weight of like public scorn forever. He can't go anywhere without being accosted and ridiculed. Um, he hasn't seen his family in like years. He has no time to hang out with his friends because they're constantly on tour, constantly doing research, constantly caring for the uh, the plants that they use in their experiments. He's just like tired and like doesn't want to do it anymore. And Violet will not let him stop. And she goes through a, a series of very unfortunate and not thought out attempts to get him to continue. She tries to bribe him. She tries to seduce him. There's all of this like goofy nonsense that she goes through. Turns out he's like, of course, extremely in love with her and has been for like many, many moons. And if they would just get married, they could go or whatever. They could continue on with this kind of farce that they have, but that makes Violet particularly very happy and that he has sacrificed most of his adult life to make her happy but she like can't see it that way um she's got her a lot of her own trauma oh i guess yes i forgot the trigger warnings trigger warnings for miscarriage and domestic violence so she has a lot of her own trauma that she has to work through uh, in order to get her way to realizing that sebastian actually loves her and that she uh, uh, you know actually loves him as well um but their partnership is professional it's secret it's complicated um it's intellectual um and it's just kind of on its way to getting romantic to becoming a romantic partnership so i love the i love this couple i love the pair of them so that's the countess conspiracy by courtney milan i'm doing a lot of co-signing today and mm. this is yet another instance <laughs> such such a good series and that book in particular so you love paranormal i love paranormal it doesn't sound like you found the side changeling books by Nalini Singh yet, so let me introduce you to them because I think you are going to love them. The best pickup point at this point in time, because this series is long running, is Silver Silence by Nalini Singh, which is the first in the side changeling trinity. And 
It is set in a world where you have like three kinds of humans. You have shape-shifting humans who shape-shift into all kinds of things, uh, just all of them. And you have humans with psychic powers, like mental powers. So, you know, some of them have telekinesis and some of them have, you know, like they can they can see visions of the future and some of them, you know, have telepathy and like there's all different flavors of this in varying combinations and strengths and whatnot. And then you have humans who like are just vanilla human like they don't they're just people. They're just people. Mm-hmm. And the there's it's a very complicated political and like coexisting situation in this series and where we pick up in uh, Silver Silence is that there's starting to be a little bit more balance. It's been very unbalanced for a very long time. Some very bad things have happened because this is a paranormal suspense series. So like there's like serial killers and murders and terrorists and like bad things are happening that the main characters are fighting against. And our two characters in this one are Silver Merkant, who is like a very powerful Psy, which are the people, as I said, who have like the mental powers. And our hero is Valentin Nikolaev, who is a werebear, a Russian werebear. And they have encountered each other professionally. And Valentin is like very interested in Silver. And Silver is like, I... Do not do romance. I have things to do. I am like a powerful member of a very powerful family. Like, no, thank you. Uh, But then somebody tries to kill her. And so she has to go somewhere where nobody will expect her to go while they try to figure out, like, who is trying to kill her and why. And so she ends up taking refuge with the werebears. So, of course, you know, feelings happen, et cetera, et cetera. And what I love about all of the couples in these this series, but I think and particularly in this one, is that they are so different in really fun ways. Like Silver is very cool. She's very calm and collected. Like I said, she's very powerful. Like she's very ambitious. And Valentine is like like a cuddly bear. Like he loves his family. And he's also, he is, I think he's the alpha. Yeah, he's the alpha of the clan. So like he has responsibilities, but he approaches his responsibilities in an extremely different way than Silver approaches hers. And it's all about them like finding a balance between their leadership styles, which is such a beautiful thing to witness. Like, I love it because they're both very like alpha-y in their own special ways. And I that, I don't think that's a dynamic that you often get, especially in paranormal. Like you get a lot of alpha hole heroes, but you don't necessarily get women who have their own levels of power in the same way. And so, I, but again, all of the part, all of the romances in this series, I think, do turn into true partnerships by the end, whatever the power dynamics and balance of ambition and whatever is happening. So again, that is Silver Silence. It's the first in the Side Changeling Trinity section of the Side Changeling series by Nalini Singh. All right. Our last question is from Raven, who says, I'm fascinated by Egyptian culture and hope to make a trip there in the near future. And I'm looking for books set in Egypt, preferably by an Egyptian author. I love literary fiction and thrillers and mysteries, but lately I've been enjoying fantasy and romance. Thank you in advance for the recommendations. Okay, I picked The Cue by Basma Abdel Aziz, translated by Elizabeth Jaquette. And this is like a very realistic science fiction novel. <laughs> I mean, it's a, dyto- it's a dystopia, but there isn't any advanced kind of technology or anything like that. So it is... In, it's, it takes place in modern day Egypt and an authority, a government called the gate has taken over after a failed popular uprising. And they literally have a gate like the city center is is blocked off. There's a giant gate and the citizens cannot of Egypt can't do like really b- mundane, basic everyday tasks without having bureaucratic permission. And in order to get it, they have to go to the city center, which means they line up in front of the gate. The issue is that the gate never, ever, 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 ever opens ever. And so the line just gets longer and longer and longer. People just start kind of living in it. And the real main character's name is Tariq, who was, um, no, I'm sorry, it's um, Yahia. Tariq is, the, is his doctor. Yahia is a man who was shot during the popular uprising and is waiting for permission from the gate to have the bullet, like to have surgery, to have the bullet taken out because he, his doctors can't perform the surgery without political permission. But the gate denies that the uprising even happened in the first place, and that if it did, there was no violence on their side, so he could not have been shot, so there is no bullet, so you don't need surgery. 
So they won't give it to him. So he's just in this line with a bullet inside of him, like stuck in this Kafkaian nightmare about how um, he's obviously been shot. He's bleeding, right? Uh, has a bullet inside of him. His doctors will say so. But the events that led to it officially never happened. And so his doctor, Tariq, has to decide whether or not he's going to perform this surgery and ultimately, which means breaking the law, risking his career and risking his life, or if he's going to just like let this man die. So, you know, it's a not very subtle (laughs) um, allegory about uh, authoritarianism in Egypt and the prices that the everyday people have to pay and are, are willing to pay and the things they have to do to make their everyday lives run in an even like partially sane fashion. So that's The Cue by Basma Abdel Aziz, translated by Elizabeth Jaquette. All right. So you said you've been enjoying fantasy and romance lately. I want to give a quick shout out to A Dead Gin in Cairo by P. Jelly Clark, which I know we've talked about on the show a bunch. He is not an Egyptian author, which is why I'm also not making this my full pick, but it is like an amazing fantasy that also has some romance set in Cairo in an alternate history version that has not been successfully colonized by the British Empire and like super highly recommend. But my other pick for you, my full pick, is the Cairo trilogy by Nagib Mahfouz, who is like one of the, you know, preeminent contemporary classical writers of Egypt. Uh, The first book is The Palace Walk. This trilogy is a multi-generational family saga that takes you from the British occupation of Egypt in the early 20th century, like through two world wars and like it and then post-colonial. So you're getting like this huge, you know, epic sweeping worldwide events with a focus on this one family and how all of these events affect them. There is a very, like, awful bad man, <laughs> uh, patriarch, Al-Sayed Ahmed Abd al-Jawad, who is, like, very, like, in charge of his family. Um, and so, you know, his wife and his daughters and his sons are all, like, under his thumb and struggling to, you know, find their own ways and find some freedom or distance in whatever ways they can from him and also then deal with the events of the world around them. And there's, you know, you're getting everything you're getting, like, you know, the effect of communism, Muslim fundamentalism, like, you know, secular politics, you're getting the impacts of colonization, like you're getting everything, but it's very much rooted in the story of this one family. And I, it's just like, it, you like literary fiction, I think you're going to love this, it's going to give you like a real window onto what it was like to live through these events from this one family p- point of view. And again, that's the Cairo Trilogy by Nagib Mahfouz. Again, the first book is The Palace Walk. But there's really beautiful, like, tr- you know, combined editions that has all three of them in them. So, you know, highly recommend. <laughs> and that's it. That's our show. Woohoo! Woohoo! Oh, I didn't <laughs> say the translators for the Cairo Trilogy. Translated by William H. Hutchins and Olive E. Kenny. That's important. Okay. Now we're done. Now we're done. <laughs> now, we can, now we can move <laughs> on. Uh, thanks so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound as good as possible. Thanks to you all for listening. If you would like some more book recommendations, you can have those. Check out bookriot.com. You can also have more podcasts. You can find our other podcasts, which cover genre fiction, n- newsy bits from the world of publishing, etc. Uh, you can find all of those at bookriot.com slash listen. And if you are so inclined, please do leave us ratings and or reviews on any podcatcher that you can, which mostly is probably just Apple Podcasts. But if you can do it on somewhere else, do that too. It helps other people to find the show. Thanks to our sponsors for making the show possible each and every week. And in between shows, if you would like to find us on social media, Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Full of dog pictures. I can't believe it was Petunia's first birthday. First birthday. Yeah. He's not less annoying, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What a bud. Uh, (laughs) You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. Or you can find me on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.